Welcome to Wisdom from the Word of God, the Bible teaching ministry of Pastor Owen Butler, endeavoring to reconnect people with God. In the Gospel according to John, chapter 15, starting at verse 3, you'll find these words. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. Saints of God, amen. As we continue in our series of lessons on spiritual maturity, uh, in this sub-lesson, amen, this is part two of making your connection sure. Thank you for standing for the reading of God's word. Making your connection sure. On the last sub-lesson, we contended with the idea of the fact that the church is not where you go, but the church is who you are. We contended with the fact that Jesus said, don't go looking here and looking there. It's over here and over there. But the church is inside of you. In this second sub lesson of the lesson on spiritual maturity, making your connection sure, we are now continuing with the idea that the church is not an organization, but it's an organism. The church is not an organization, but it's an organism. Because we contended that in organizations, the CEO or the head of the company, amen, can go and can come. Uh, they can be fired and replaced, and the organization goes on. But we looked at the fact that in an organism, you just can't take the head off and the body keeps going. We contended with the idea of if somebody comes along and takes your head off, your body is going to die. And there's only one head for one body. Amen. Amen. Your head is specifically designed for your body. Somebody else's head cannot be put on your body and it function. Amen. In the way that God intended. And so it is with the organism called the church. If Jesus Christ is not the one head, then this body shall not function. There is no other head that can be the head of the church except Jesus Christ. The church is not an organization. It's an organism organism and it has a head and a body Amen. on last week we discussed what Jesus meant by that he is divine and not it's any vine but he's the true vine yeah. 
He's the real vine. He's the authentic vine. He's not the lookalike or imitation that the Israelites or the Jewish leadership tried to put themselves in position to be. But he said, if you're going to have life and you're going to have real life, it's got to come through me. Well, in this series of lessons here, in these sub-lessons, Jesus has more to say about the vine and the branches. And in this particular text that we're dealing with today, we find out in context what Jesus meant when he said, without me, you can do nothing. Now, I want to, to, to say to you all today, in the way that a lot of times we use that particular section of scripture in 15 and 5, it has an adequate application. Because without Jesus, you really can't do anything. Right? Without Jesus, he's your lifeblood, so you die. You don't breathe, you don't think, you don't go to the store, you don't do anything without Jesus. You don't even exist. Because remember, in this same gospel, chapter 1, John contended that in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Not only that, that the Word made everything. And there, there was nothing that was made that wasn't made by Him. And if anybody was confused about who the Word was that was with God and who the Word was that was God, all you have to do is go to the 14th verse of that same chapter and you find out that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us as the only begotten, full of grace and truth. The only one that fits that bill is Jesus. Amen. So truly without him you can do nothing. But we find that Jesus had a more narrow meaning to this verse when you put it in the context of this particular passage. So we look at the Gospel of John and we always must look at the Gospel of John in light of its purpose. Many of you who have studied literature and have had a literature class, you must realize that in order to understand a piece of literature, you have to understand the genre in which it is. You have to understand the style. But even more importantly, you've got to understand the author. You've got to get the author's mindset. So in order to understand the Gospel of John, you've got to understand the mindset of John. John came with a purpose of showing us that Jesus is God. So even in the words at the beginning of John chapter 15, when he says, I am the true vine. Those words, I am, are words that take the reader who understands the mind of the writer and who would be in the context of the time in which John lived would realize that John was calling him the I am. John was writing and that Jesus was calling himself the I am. The same I am that was back in the days of Moses. When Moses was on the backside of the mountain. And he saw that burning bush that was not consumed. So Moses, as the Bible said, he turned aside. Which meant Moses walked up closer to it. To see why the bush did not burn up. And it was at that point when he had some uh, curiosity about it. And he moved closer a voice came from the bush and said, Moses, Moses. 
That voice gave him construction, I mean instruction to go down to Egypt and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. So Moses says, well, who shall I say? Says to Pharaoh, let my people go. He said, you tell him, I am that I am. That same I am, Jesus says, that was me. And I am the true vine. So then that causes us to have to wrestle with some things that are said in this text. What we have seen thus far that Jesus give commandment. He gives commandment as it relates to us, he says, to abide in him. He says that if any uh, branch does not bear fruit, it's pruned. And uh, uh, if it does not bear fruit, then it is cut away. And that that bears little fruit, it is pruned that it can bear much more fruit. Yeah. Jesus is all about production. Amen. The last thing Jesus wants to see is saints of God sitting around and looking around. The last thing he wants is bench members. Amen. Jesus himself said, I am working as the Father is working. So if we're going to imitate Christ, we're going to have to be working too. Amen. Amen. And so we see in the text a hard saying. Amen. Starting at verse 3. In the midst of this whole thing about branches and, uh, and being in the vine and being pruned by the vine dresser, which is the father, the son says to his disciples, because remember the context of this is he's talking to his disciples. He says, you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. When verses one and two, he's talking about pruning. But then in verse 3 he says, clean. <laughs> the reality of this text is that word clean is properly interpreted and properly translated. But there's an overarching thought that we must also catch here. And that is Jesus is also saying, but you are already pruned. You are already pruned. So you are saying to yourself, wait a minute, why am I already pruned? Why were the disciples already pruned? Well, it's in the text. He says, you are already pruned because of the word which I have spoken to you. Now this pruning here causes the individual to bear more fruit. To be more loving, to be more patient, to be more loving and kind, and to be more uh, understanding, to be more burden-bearing, to be more prayerful, to, to show more love and more care, to be more compassionate, to be more empathetic. Amen. That's the fruit of the Spirit. But why are they already clean? Why clean? Why is this word also clean. Don't forget that Jesus is not only the Lord. He's not only the Savior, but he's also our high priest. 
When he was talking to the disciples, even though this is a New Testament book, it was in an Old Testament context. Remember, they are still living. Jesus is on the scene. Amen. Pentecost hasn't come yet. They are still operating in an Old Testament context. So what we find here in the text is that Jesus is also speaking to his disciples from the role as priest. Remember, if anybody was unceremonial, unclean, or ceremonial, unclean, it had to be the priest who would be the one who to, to indicate that this person is now clean, or this object is now clean. He made the decision, this is unclean, this is clean. Jesus says, for my high priestly role, I say that you clean. And I want to tell every one of us who are baptized and, and bathed in the Holy Ghost, amen, that the only reason why we have the status of clean is because Jesus said we were. We didn't do so much. We didn't do so great. We didn't suffer so long. But it's simply because Jesus said we are. Remember, as we studied in Sunday school, that we don't live according to our own righteousness, but from a foreign righteousness that comes from Jesus Christ. When the Father looks at our account, he don't see our stuff, he sees Jesus's. So Jesus is not just just, but he's the justifier. He's the one who says we are clean. And all Jesus has to do, Sister Williams, is speak a word, and you clean. See, salvation is not of man, it's of the Lord. And that's why he says, I am the true vine. Because every other way of trying to get to God, trying to live, is incorrect, it is false, and it's insufficient. The only way to get there is through Jesus Christ. The same I am who said in just a few chapters earlier, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except by me. See, Jesus is crying out with the I am's. And John is making sure we hear every I am of Jesus knowing that he's God. He is the just and the justifier. But look at the text. Then Jesus gives commandment to his disciples. And by association and by extension, he gives commandment to you and I. He says, abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. We talked about this yesterday is that Jesus was instructing his disciples to let them know that everybody, amen, was not abiding in him. That there were some branches on the vine that looked like good branches. But there were no good branches at all. And I contend with you amongst congregations in churches everywhere. There are some branches that are abiding in him and some branches that are not. But a lot of times you can't tell which one is which. But he knows. Thank you, Reverend. He knows, and that's why he said, don't you go out into the harvest and try to separate the wheat from the tare, because you'll tear up everything. You'll tear up the good and the bad, the wheat and the tare. Everything get ripped up, because we don't know what we're doing. But as Reverend Murray said, he does. 
And sometimes what's so dangerous about this is you cannot be abiding in Christ and not know it. You can be outside of the, the dwelling place of Christ but think you're all right. You can go along doing religious things. You can go along going to church and going to Bible study, going to Sunday school, giving in the offering. You can do all of these things and miss the boat completely. Think about what Jesus said about the Pharisees. He called them hypocrites. He called them whitewashed sepulchers full of excess and distortion. But you know what? If you looked close at the Pharisees, don't discount them. Don't put them aside as if they were just sitting on their hands somewhere. No, they were working. They were taking care of the temple. They were giving in the offering. They were giving a tithe and a cumin and a mint. Amen. They were doing these things that looked very religious. Looked like they was on board with God. So much so that the people would come to the Pharisees to learn about God. They could not tell the difference that these Pharisees were hypocrites in the sight of the Lord. So, you can be fooled as well. You might think everybody around you is walking with the Lord because they're doing things that are likely things that seem to be in line with the Christian faith. But works don't save you. Faith does. And there are some folks who have never put their faith in God but have put their faith in people, in relationships, in descendancy, but never got on board with the Lord. They've even been, had their faith in tradition. So Jesus kept sending a sword right down the middle of Jerusalem, right down the middle of Judea, right down the middle of Judah, saying some of you are on the left and some of you are on the right. In this text he says every branch that's on this vine is not a real branch. It's not a real Christian. It's not a real believer. But I got a father who's a vine dresser. I got a father who, who's able to come in. He's a farmer and he knows how to determine whether it's a good branch or it's a bad branch. Whether it's a good fruit or no fruit at all. And he knows how to cut off those bad branches and make them as dead wood to be burned up in the fire. And unfortunately, when the day comes, there are going to be some who didn't make it in. There are going to be some folks who hung around the church but never let the church inside of them and they're going to miss it because they tried to live by works and not by faith. The only way to get this is by faith and Jesus has to speak life into you. You can't do it on your own. So you look at this text and he says you, you can't bear any fruit of itself. You, even as a believer, amen, if Jesus does not infuse you and empower you to bear fruit, you're not going to bear anything at all. You're going to be like clanging cymbals and loud brass. You're not going to get anything done. You're just going to be doing a lot of talking and no results. Amen. Your, your ministry will be in vain if you're trying to do it by your power and not by the power of the Lord. Uh, that, that is so important that you have an introspective on yourself and say, am I doing this in my power? Am I doing this because I think it's the right thing to do? Or am I doing this because Jesus is empowering me to do it? And you know what? Folks who try to do it upon themselves, they burn out. They don't last the whole length of the time. 
because they don't have the ability to. There are so many folks who have now left the church, amen, and they have been disgruntled because they were trying to live the Christian life all by themselves. They had expectations of how God's church was supposed to operate. And when it did not live up to the standards at which they thought it ought to, they threw in the towel, threw out the baby with the bathwater, and took their own way. Because they were never rooted and grounded in the Lord in the first place. We looked at Jeremiah, amen, a little bit on Saturday, amen, and we found that Jeremiah, even in his very difficult years of a 40-year ministry with no results because the people were so stiff-necked, Jeremiah said, I sit down on the Lord. See, I, I said to myself, I'm not going to even mention his name to these folks no more. But Jeremiah said, but there was a fire shut up in my bones and I could not stay down. I could not contain it. I had to let it out. I wanted to stop and quit. I wanted to go out in the country and be by myself. But because of the Lord in me, I could not quit. That's the difference between a one who's abiding in the vine and one who's just a dead branch. That the dead branch will burn out and quit, but the real branch, even when it wants to quit, it cannot. If you find yourself sitting down on God, sitting down on the church, and thinking like, I'm done right now, if you are really in the branch, if you're really connected to the vine, you won't be able to stay there. Just like Jeremiah. Because the Holy Ghost will be like fire. Shut up in your bones. Amen? Amen. So when we look at the text, and in this short message on today, as we come to a close, let's look at verse 5. Jesus once again says, I am the vine. Look at that. I am. He says, I'm God. And I am that I am. I am the source of all things. Nothing was made that was not made by me. I am the creator of the universe and everything in it. The I am. And then he says, the vine. Now he's not saying, I'm the true vine. He's saying, I'm the vine. He says, the reality is there is no other vine except me. There is no other source of life except me. So anybody who's saying Jesus was a good man and a good teacher, and, but I'm not sure about this God thing. Well, either Jesus is crazy and a liar, or either he's God. Because he himself says, I am the vine. He says, I'm God, and I'm the sole source of life. I'm the sole source of any gift, any ability that you might have to live out the things that I've called you to do because it's my calling on your life, not your calling of your own. He says in the text, he says, you are the branches. He said, don't forget your role. Don't you get around here thinking you're the life. Don't you think because of you that the church is going to go on. But I can show you that I can extract you out. And the church will roll right on. Because this is my church and my mission for my church. And he won't let one branch stop his objectives. So the minute we start to believe we're more than what we are and we're all that in a bag of chips, the Lord said, no, I can set you down. I can cool you off, straighten you out. 
and put you in a nice secure place in the ground. So stay humble and don't get proud. I am the vine. You are the branches. He says, he who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. The text almost makes us think that we got something to do with this abiding. But how are you going to abide in something you don't know where it is? You don't know how to abide in Christ. You don't know where he is unless he first shows himself to you. And that's why he says, and I in you. Because our abiding comes first because he first abides in us. He abides in us through the power of the Holy Spirit. Because the Father is in the Son, the Son is in the Father, the Father and the Son is in the Holy Ghost. So because he has made the decision to abide in us, we can now abide in him. You can't just get up one morning and say, I'm going to abide in the Lord just because I think it's a good idea. You can think all you want, but if the Lord does not allow it to occur, then you won't abide at all. So it is what the Lord said all the way back in the days of Isaiah. He said, the salvation is of the Lord. Salvation is not of man. Works is not of man. Amen. But all that pleases God is of the Lord. The Lord rolled up his own sleeves and he looked down and he said, is there anybody righteous down there? Isaiah said, so can't find nobody. So there was none righteous. Hmm. No, not one. So after we found that all of humanity was bankrupt, Jesus said, well, okay, Lord. Okay, Father, I'm going to roll my sleeves up and I'm going to put on a body and I'm going to go down and fix what is broke. And we are living today because Jesus came down and fixed what was broke. So in the context of this passage, we see what he was saying in this context about without him, you can do nothing. In this context, he was saying, if you're going to bear any fruit, you got to bear fruit because you're in me. I don't care how many old ladies you take across the street, how many charities you give to, how many people you do good things for, how many folks you encourage. That means nothing if you're not in Christ. So you get that fixed first. See, some people try to do the works first and then gain salvation, but it's the other way around. You got to gain salvation to do the works because it doesn't count for nothing unless you're saved. Amen. Amen. Without Jesus, you can do nothing. And we see, as this text says, we realize that the work is of the Lord. Uh, that one that was called the word in the first chapter that put on flesh. When he rolled up his sleeves and he came down, he came down through 40 and two generations. He came down first at the promise of Abraham and for 21 generations to David he reminded them again through the Davidic covenant that he was coming to take care of business and then for 21 more generations from David to Jesus 40 and two generations and then was born of a virgin wrapped in swaddling clothes a baby a baby that was born in Bethlehem but he wasn't born in a fancy hospital, nor was he born in an inn. 
But he was born outside in a manger. Laid down in an animal's trough. But he came as humble as humility can make. Because he wanted to be in a position, Mother Collins, that no matter how far down we go, that we could never go too low, that Jesus couldn't reach and pick us back up. He came as the lowly Jesus. Isaiah says that he had no comeliness. He wasn't gorgeous and pretty. He didn't have a halo over his head. He didn't look like these pictures where they have Jesus looking all fair-skinned and, and have some kind of glow. No, he looked like an ordinary, everyday, working-class stiff. But he was way more than that. He was a savior. And you know what? He, he continued his life, and when it was time, he got about his father's business. And for three years, he ministered down the dusty streets of Jerusalem, giving sight to the blind and giving hearing to those who could not hear and giving speech to those who could not speak. He was there teaching and, and preaching and healing and raising little damsels from the dead. He was reaching and going down. Even when his good friend Lazarus died, he went to the tombs and he said, Lazarus, come forth. It was during this three years of heavy ministry that Jesus, the son of the living God, was healing and teaching and even loving those who didn't love him. While the Pharisees were vehemently trying to kill him, he was still teaching and loving on them. That's the vine. But it doesn't end right there because Jesus went along and then there was a day that came. An evening when him and his disciples, at least a few of them, were there in the garden of Gethsemane. He was getting ready to do the great work that nobody else could do. He was getting ready to pay the price that nobody else could pay. He was getting ready to pay that price uh, that Noah couldn't pay. He was getting ready to pay that price that Abraham couldn't pay. He was getting that, ready to pay that price that Israel, nor David could pay, nor Enoch, nor any of the great names, nor Elijah, nor Elisha. They could not pay it because they all fall short of the glory of God. But this one who did no wrong, who came not to destroy the law but to fulfill it, in the Garden of Gethsemane, he was looking at the work in front of him. It was a bitter work. It was a terrible work because he had to put on the sins of the world. And it was in that time while Jesus was praying and his sweat was like drops of blood. He called out to his father and he said, Father, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. Then I don't have to put on all this sin because I don't know anything about sin. But he said, but not my will but thy will be done. Now that is an instruction to us as well. There are times in our lives when our will wants to be off center with the Lord's will for whatever anguish comes in our lives. But we got to be ready to say, Lord, I don't necessarily want to do this in my will, but not my will, but your will be done. There's a lot of days when trying to do ministry will cause you to want to follow your will right out the door. 
But you can't quit like that. You got to ask the Lord, but what is your will? His will may be to stay right there and deal with every bit of that pain. Because God is going to get his glory even in the midst of those kind of situations. God has a way of turning lemons into lemonade. He knows how to make bitter fruit sweet. But you got to trust in him. So this vine, amen. He allowed the Roman soldiers to come get him. Amen. At the Garden of Gethsemane. And they marched him to six kangaroo courts. They marched him to the court of Annas, the court of Caiaphas, the court of the Sanhedrin, the court of Pilate, the court of Herod, and then back to Pilate again. They were kangaroo courts because they had trumped up charges on Jesus. They tried to accuse Jesus of all kinds of things that he never did. Even Pilate himself says he can find no fault in him. The true vine. But the true vine at that time could have called a legion of angels and destroyed them all. But he didn't come for that. He came to save our very souls. So he stayed on the path and they marched him down uh, that bloody road to Golgotha's hill. And outside of the walls of Jerusalem, in that place of the skull called Golgotha, where many had died, they had created a crucifix for our Jesus. To die a death of crucifixion when he did nothing wrong. But that's Jesus for you. Remember that Jesus came to be the most humble. That no matter how long we go, he's always there to pick us up. You can't go no lower than being crucified. The Bible says that is a curse. Anyone who was hung on a tree. But Jesus was willing to be cursed so that we can be blessed. Yeah. Are y'all following me today? Yeah. The work of Jesus on that cross, my sins and your sins, my lying and my, my cheating and my backbiting and all of that, my, my desire to kill, all of that was on his shoulders and yours were too. And he carried it all. Those were the past, present, and future on that cross. And they put nails in his hands and nails in his feet. But as I say on many occasions, they made one mistake. And that is that they lifted him up. Because it is Jesus himself who said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. And we are shining examples that Jesus is still drawing. Most 2,000 years later, Sister V, he's still drawing. He's still drawing and he ain't done yet. It may look like it sometimes. It looks like the church is about to close. But Jesus said, upon this rock I'll build my church. But the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Because see, Jesus got an objective and his objective shall be completed. All of his goals shall be done. Because there's no devil in hell that can stop Jesus Christ. So they lifted him up and he stayed on that cross from the third to the ninth hour. And on that ninth hour, Sister Lyles, he died. He died a death that none of us want to die. He paid a price that none of us can pay. That all of our sins, past, present, and future 
was on his shoulders. The pain of the, of the spikes in his, in his wrist and the spikes in his feet were bad enough sending up shots of terrifying pain through his nervous system. But what was worse than that was the anguish and the bitterness of all of this sin for all of humanity that was on his shoulders. But that shows his love for us. He loved us so much that he was willing to take that on. So when you read Romans 5 and 8, and you see what God demonstrated his love toward us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died. That's the death he died. It wasn't just his physical death, but he had to die with the sins of all humanity on his shoulders. Anybody who does not trust in Jesus Christ will not inherit the kingdom of God. The father did not give his son in such a terrible way, amen, for us to just walk around him and take another path. He is the vine, the true vine. But that's not the end of the story. After he died at that ninth hour, they took him down from that old rugged cross and they put him in a borrowed tomb. He was in that tomb three days and three nights. Uh, Reverend Murray mentioned this this morning that when Jesus was buried, our sins was buried with him. And in the Psalms, it talks about how they were cast in the sea of forgetfulness as far as the east is from the west. That is to let us know that the stuff we did in 1977 and 1983, it won't be brought up anymore. The sins that we commit, amen, that the blood can still wash and clean. It is the blood of Christ that never loses its power. But that's still not the end of the story. It would be one thing for him to die for our sins and be buried. But then we'd be trying to serve a dead Jesus. And Paul the Apostle in the 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians lets us know if Jesus was not resurrected, then we are most pitiful. Because in reality, we'd still be in our sins. See, we need a completion. And that completion comes in the newness of life. And on that third day morning, early Sunday morning, Jesus got up with all power in his hand. It was his first resurrection that sets forth the resurrection of all the saints. That we know one of these days, amen, we won't wrestle with the flesh no more. We shall be glorified as he is glorified. No longer will it be the spirit against the flesh, warring against the other, and then doing those things which we don't want to do, and doing not those things that we want to do. That will all be over. Because we shall be changed in a twinkling of the eye. And we shall remain with him forever. But on the way there, we must remember to produce good fruit. We must continue to abide in Jesus and he in us. And that we produce the good fruit of righteousness and make a difference in our world. That when that day that the trumpet sounds or when that day when the Lord calls for us to go to the grave, we have done all that the master has asked us to do. Once again, making your connection sure. If you don't get that right, then everything else does not matter. Amen? Amen. 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 The doors of the church are open. There might be somebody here, amen, today.
that realizes their lostness, realizes that they don't have a connection with Jesus the way they ought to. Right now is the time to get it right with the Lord. If you don't come to the front today, make sure that you pray with the Lord. Make sure that you talk with him about your situation. Don't go another week. Don't go another day. Don't go another hour. Because anything beyond what you hear right this moment is not promised. You can drop dead right now. Get your business fixed. Amen. And it is also a time, amen, if you need special prayer, if there's something special that you need special prayer for, is the time to come and we will gather around you and pray for you as well. Amen. That's what the church is all about. Church is about loving and, and bearing one another's burdens and praying for one another. And just being there for the one another's. If it wasn't so, then when we were saved, God could have took us on home that day. Amen. Amen. Tis the old ship of Zion. Tis the old ship of Zion. Captain 
Hello, Wisdom from the Word listening family. I want to thank you for listening to the episodes of this podcast. If you're listening to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, I have a big favor to ask of you. Would you go out and give this particular podcast a five-star rating? And also, would you add some review notes specifically about what you like about the episodes, what you like about the preaching and the teaching, and I will be eternally grateful. Thank you again for your support of this podcast.